This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. All right. Well, kids, if you are heading down to your classes, Club 56, as well as our elementary school, kids, we will miss you while you are gone. And uh, for those of us who are sticking around this morning, our team has put together for you uh, a booklet to use over the next five weeks throughout this series. And so they're going to come and they're going to pass it out to you. We'd love each of you to take one and then bring it back every week because you'll need it throughout the series. And uh, while they're handing it out, I will uh, just give you a little heads up about a few things that are in there for you. I'll tell you what's in the booklet. Uh, First... Uh, There are some pages in there explaining the vision of making room, basically what you heard in the video, uh, but on paper, so you can spend some more time with it, you can look at the drawings, you can think and pray about it uh, some more. And so all of that is in there. Uh, Secondly, what you'll find in there is some pages for each week of the series for sermon notes. And in fact, when you get your booklet, you can turn to page 32, that's where we'll get started here in a moment. But each week, there's a place to track along with the series, where the scripture is, uh, for you to take notes if you'd like to do so, and then bring it back each week as you come along. Third thing that's in there are questions for reflection and discussion, Uh, discussion group questions for your community groups, as well as questions for your own personal reflection. And then also there'll be some questions relating to what the kids are doing in their classes as well. So there's a, a, a bring it home section where you can have some things to work out together, some dinner table conversations uh, in your households. And then the last thing, and this is kind of a loose leaf uh, uh, part of it um, that's kind of tucked away in there, is a commitment card. And this is for you. We wanted you to have this in plenty of time to look at it, pray about it, think about it as the series goes on, all leading up to November 20th, which is our Commitment Sunday, our Pledge Sunday. And uh, I also want to let you know there is a website for Making Room with a lot of the same information. Uh, The video that you just watched will be up there as well, along with all kinds of other information about the project. There's also um, a booth that's going to live in the corner of the Commons for the next uh, few weeks as well and beyond uh, with some more information about Making Room. You can pick up booklets as well. I think there's some treats and snacks out there this week uh, too, and so uh, make sure and check in in the Commons uh, each week throughout the series. But this morning, uh, as we always do, we're going to take a look at God's Word together, and today we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 7. It's in your booklets on page 32. If you're looking in your Bibles in uh, your rows, it's page 967. If you're looking in Bibles that you brought from home, I don't know what page it is. You have to find it uh, on your own. After 1 Corinthians, and then you'll find it along. But would you follow along with me as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 8? I'm just going to read the first seven verses. Listen to God's Word. We want you to know, brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." In this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. 
But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, and we pray that you would help us this morning as we study your word together. Would you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I listened to Joe Novenson talk about a trip that he took to the Syrian border several years ago to work amongst refugees, a Kurdish man, a Muslim imam, actually a Muslim cleric, Muslim pastor, came up to them, and in particular, he was seeking out a a Christian worker, a Turkish Christian man they had met before, and so he knew that this man was a Christian, and the Muslim man asked, "Uh, could you please ask your church, could you please ask your pastor to get volunteers to help with the refugees? I, I can't find anyone to help, and the Turkish man said, we'll do it. And according to Joe Novenson, ever since 50 to 60 people from this small Turkish church have been ministering to Muslim refugees in the name of Jesus Christ, often at great cost to themselves in time, money, effort, and reputation. In Uzbekistan, there was a young woman, a young mother, who had fled her home village because of the abuse that she received there. She had become a Christian and weekly walked 18 kilometers to church. Some of us don't like two blocks that we have to park away, right? But 18 kilometers, she'd walk to church every week. She was mocked for this by her family and friends, others in the village. Started with mocking, but then it escalated. When she didn't stop going to church, they threatened her. Eventually, they beat her and she was able to relocate to get away from the persecution. But when freezing temperatures hit the desert, she was the first one to volunteer to walk back to her home village to take blankets and coats. She returned to the place where people had abused her and mistreated her, and some became Christians through her work and her witness. About 2,000 years ago, there was a group of churches in an area called Macedonia, Churches at Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, they were mostly Gentile Christians. But when they heard that a mostly Jewish church in Jerusalem was suffering, they begged for a chance to get in on helping, begged for a chance to help relieve the suffering. And they gave not out of their abundance, but actually out of their poverty, all to serve people that they had never met personally. And all these examples... Grace given by God as it comes into the hearts of people propelled them forward to give grace to others. Grace given became grace giving. And for the next few weeks during this Making Room series, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He has a mission initiative that he's raising money for, but what's so interesting is he barely talks about money at all. You know what he talks about a lot? He talks about grace over and over again. You see it right there in verse 1. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God 
that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And that sets the tone for his whole appeal. It's the unmerited, God-initiated, intruding, interrupting grace of Jesus Christ bursting into human lives that propels people into generous living. Behind any generous church is the grace of God. And so we'll see three things this morning. I want you to see three things as we look at this text. Three congregations involved here. First, there's the example of the Macedonian church. Secondly, there's this challenge that Paul is offering to the Corinthian church. And then thirdly, there's an opportunity for a new city church. All right, so first, uh, an example in the Macedonian church. Secondly, the challenge to the Corinthian church. And finally, an opportunity for a new city church. All right, so let's get into it this morning. First, uh, the Macedonian example. And this is the first few verses here. But a little context, just to give you an idea of what's going on. About 10 years before Paul writes this, there had been a famine in the land, and it hit the church in Jerusalem especially hard. They're already a poor church, already a minority people in an occupied territory. And so this famine was crippling. It hurt everybody, but it was crippling to them. And so at the same time that this is happening, Paul is in the middle of planting churches in the Greco-Roman world, around the Mediterranean Sea, in the Gentile world. And as Paul is doing this, starting these new churches, he begins to share with them the needs of the Jerusalem church with the Gentile churches he's planting. And the church at Corinth had been very enthusiastic about this. As a group, they made a commitment to give, a pledge to give. But evidently... They had not seen it through. They started well, but their giving slowed. And so Paul here in our passage is gently instructing, nudging them to finish what they had begun, to continue in their giving. That's what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is about. And Paul begins this appeal by setting before them a wonderful example of generosity. He talks to them about the churches in Macedonia. And Paul says the Macedonians, well, he says they even surprised him with their generosity. How about that, right? They shocked an apostle. Uh, Now, I'm not sure what, in verse 5, right, he says this is not what we expected. I'm not sure what Paul expected. Maybe just that they would take down this as a prayer request that they could pray for the church in Jerusalem. But that's not what they did. Instead, he says they they gave, verse 3, not only according to their means, but beyond their means. They blew Paul away with their generosity. And he gives some explanation in verse 5. He says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So their loyalty was first to God, right? That's what motivated them, their commitment to God. But when you give yourself to the Lord, you find out pretty quickly that he connects you deeply to God's people. And that's what happened for the Macedonians. They gave themselves to God, but they found themselves deeply committed to God's mission, deeply committed to God's people. And let's zero in here for a moment on verse 2. Because this tells us three things that converge, three tributaries, if you will, that flow into this massive river of Macedonian generosity. And there are three things, three tributaries you might not expect would add up to generous living. Look at verse 2. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, 
their abundance of joy, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, what are the three things that came together and overflowed into a wealth of generosity? Well, first, he says, they were in the midst of a severe trial, a severe affliction. And that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, normally in the midst of a trial or a difficult period, an affliction, we think of shoring up and hunkering down, right? Certainly not extending, not sacrificing, not stretching, not pouring out. And sometimes it's not even an actual trial, but it's the very possibility of a trial that keeps us more buttoned down than we should be. Listen to what John Calvin writes. He says, the thing that makes us more close-fisted than we should be with our money is that we're too careful and look too much at possible dangers that might come upon us. And so we become too cautious and too anxious and work out too fretfully how much we're going to need during our whole life and how much we lose when the smallest part is taken away. But the man who depends upon the Lord's blessing has his mind set free from these vexatious cares. And at the same time, his hand is set free for beneficence or for generosity. And that's the Macedonians, isn't it? They were set free for generosity. In the midst of a severe trial, they overflowed with generosity. And I just want to give you maybe just Again, so we can bring our minds there and really understand what's going on. I want to give you just a a, a notion, a bare notion of what they were dealing with, what the severe affliction was. Uh, In Acts chapter 17, I'll I'll just read uh, a few little bits from Acts 17, which describe the persecution in just one of these Macedonian towns, all right? I'll just read a little bit to you. It says, uh, Acts 17, just after it says, there's the preaching of the gospel, and many believed... But some were jealous and some became angry. And here's a quote. It says, they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, one of the church members, one of the church leaders. It goes on to say, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers out into the street. Are you picturing uh, this scene, right? A mob pulling them out of their homes, screaming, yelling, laying hands on them. And it goes on. They slandered them before the city authorities. They told lies about them in order to make them look bad publicly. And then finally it says, they took all of Jason's money, seized his property. It's just one incident of the ways that the churches of Macedonia were suffering a severe affliction. Now on top of that, they lived in a war zone. History tells us that there were three consecutive wars waged by the Romans to squash uprisings in this area. The conditions were bad. So they're dealing with persecution and slander and squalor and danger and property being seized and just the general terrible atmosphere of an area where battles and war is taking place. How do you do when life and limb are under threat? When it comes to generous living, I'll be honest, I don't do so well under those conditions. I'm like the guy that Calvin says is closed-fisted, is vexatious, is thinking about contingencies, cautious, but not the Macedonians. If there was ever a church that could ask for a pass 
in giving to meet the needs of others at this point, it would be the traumatized Macedonian churches. They weren't just worried about possible dangers. They were in danger. And yet they excelled, Paul says, in generosity. They exceeded his expectations. Amazing. So the first thing flowing into this wealth of generosity is a severe trial. But the second thing, the second ingredient in this crazy gospel math uh, is their extreme poverty. Paul says they gave, verse 3, according to their means and then beyond their means. What I want you to take note of here is that Paul never puts a dollar amount on it, does he? He never told us exactly what they give. We actually don't know how much the Macedonians give. And the reason for that is because for Paul, it's not the size of the gift, but the heart behind it that matters the most. He never quantifies their giving. He qualifies their giving. He doesn't say how much they gave. He talks rather about what it meant for them to do it. They gave according to their means and then beyond. The commentators all bring out here, and I think it's important to note, you know, it's it's very possible that the Corinthian church actually get in real dollars, may have actually given more to this effort than the Macedonian churches do. Right? Paul doesn't tell us exactly, but it's very possible the church in Corinth, the one that he's going to challenge and push here in a minute, um, it's very possible the Corinthians gave more in real dollars than the Macedonians. I mean, the Corinthians were a cosmopolitan church. They had access to more wealth. They may have given much, much more than the poorer churches of Macedonia. But here's Paul holding up the Macedonians, not for their total dollar amount, but because of their sacrifice. Because of their love. And Paul, in doing this, does just what Jesus does. When Jesus tells the story of the widow's mind, do you remember that, Luke? Chapter 21, it says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. It's not the size of the gift. It's the heart behind it, the sacrifice involved in it. The Macedonians gave in the midst of a trial. They gave out of their poverty. And then finally, Paul says they did it with overflowing joy. It wasn't just their blood that was flowing in the streets. It was their joy that was spilling out into the streets too. And I don't know about you, but you read this, right? Taking into consideration what we know is happening to them in Acts chapter 17. You read this and you think, either these people have lost it mentally, right? Severe trial, extreme poverty, and yet joy and generosity. Either these people have lost it or they have found something spiritually which enables them to face the world in all its hardship and peril and pain with joy and generosity. Paul says they actually begged to get in on this. Did you catch that when we read it earlier? Right. Paul doesn't set the pace with his ask. They set the pace by desiring, begging to get in on it. Verse 3, For they gave according to their means, and I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, here it is, verse 4, 
begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Normally when we think about begging and money, we think about people begging for money, right? Here's a group of people begging to give it away. They begged, it says, for the favor of taking part. And the word favor there in Greek is the word charis. It's the word for grace. It's the word for gift. They saw it as a grace to give. They saw it as a gift to be able to take part in giving. They believed, truly believed Jesus' words. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, some people give like a tax. I know it's my duty. I'll do it. Other people give at the entertainment level. You know, pay as I go. If I get something out of it, I'll give in exchange. Some people give at the emotional level. It's when I'm really moved. My heartstrings are tugged. But the Macedonians gave out of the grace of God working in them. We see here the example of Macedonian generosity. But then secondly, we see a challenge to the Corinthian church. Now, the Corinthians started out well, too. If you went back to the end of Paul's first letter, 1 Corinthians 16, you you get here the sense that uh, they've told Paul they're excited about this. They want to be a part of this. We're all in, Paul. They've even started giving. And so Paul gives some instructions about how to arrange this, the logistics for doing this. But then something happened, and it fizzles out. And perhaps you know what this is like, right? Priorities change. New challenges come up. Maybe they forgot. This is over the course of several years. Or, you know, it's the ancient world. You can't just do a transfer, right? There's, there's logistics involved. This gets complicated in organizing a collection and then sending it off. Maybe their relationship with Paul is strained at this point. I mean, 1 Corinthians was a pretty rough letter to get. Maybe things are a little icy now between Paul And the Corinthians, whatever the reason is, they started well, but they had not followed through. And so in verse 6, Titus goes to them and urges them to continue on to complete what they started. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually find this kind of encouraging, the Corinthians example here. This is a story about starting well and then tapering off and I would guess some of us can identify with that, right? The Macedonian example, yes, is inspiring, but if I'm honest, it's also pretty intimidating, and for a lot of us, it might be really overwhelming. I think it's Mark Twain who said, you know, there's nothing more annoying than a good example. (laughs) Nothing more annoying than a good example. So if you don't identify with the Macedonians, maybe you, like me, can identify with the very realistic situation of the Corinthians. A lot of excitement to start, commitment Sunday, jazzed up, but the follow-through is a lot more difficult. Paul writes, Titus goes to visit in order to urge them to follow through in what they've begun. And Paul tells us why. He says, you know, part of the reason that he does this, Paul is convinced that generosity is actually part of discipleship. It's part of following Jesus. Right? Look at verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. 
He's saying, you know, you can't really say, I like all these other parts of Christianity. I like faith, and I really like to talk to people about Jesus, and I like prayer, and I like knowledge, I like theology, and I like worship. I just don't want to give. Paul says that's not how it works. Because, you know what, grace pushes into all these areas of our life. We're meant to be integrated believers. And so Paul says, you excel, Corinthians, in all these other areas of faith. I want you to excel in this act of grace also. And then in verse 8, Paul, and I realize we didn't read that at the top, but I'll tag on one more verse this morning. Verse 8, Paul makes this not about money, but about love. Verse 8, he says, I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Again, he's talking about the heart behind the gift. He says, the reason I'm talking to you about your giving is not how much you give, but what it represents when you give. This represents your love for God. It represents your love for his people. It represents your commitment to his mission. The theologian N.T. Wright Put it this way, commenting on this verse, he says, it's a bold appeal. I've tried to imagine myself standing in front of a congregation and saying something like this, and I confess, I find it difficult. Amen. But Paul knows, and those who have the God-given task of raising funds for the work of the gospel should never forget it, that what counts is a work of grace in the hearts and lives of ordinary people. Paul has seen this spectacularly in Macedonia, And now he declares that he wants to see it in Corinth as well. Wouldn't he like to see it in the 21st century century church too? Which brings us to the last point. Macedonian example, Corinthian challenge, and a new city opportunity. And listen, generosity has been our story as a church thus far. I mean, you heard it in the video, right? We stepped into a story of generosity. We didn't do anything about it. We stepped right into one. The old Norwood Presbyterian Church, different church, different denomination even, but they sacrificed and they gave generously. Sunday school classes and kids ministries and women, men, everybody involved according to their means, sometimes above and beyond their means. In 1922, they built this church building for worship and community and hospitality. And buildings aren't everything, but what a blessing this place has been to this part of the city, to this neighborhood over the last hundred years. What a blessing it's been to us for the last eight years that we've inhabited it. We stepped into a story of generosity, but we also continued with one. New Cities Church story has been one of generosity. There was a little group of 15 of us In 2009, who met and planned and prayed about how to get this church started. Many of them relocated, rearranged their lives, gave of their time and their talents and their money to help start this church. That little group of 15 grew to a group of 40 when we launched our very first worship service, October 18th, 2009. So 13 years ago, uh, this past week, again, that group of 40 poured themselves out to plant a new church. 
The generosity continued year by year. Every year as a church, we've been able to give 15% of our budget away to missions and church planting and ministries to the poor. Our giving here has regularly outpaced our budget so that we can give even more above and beyond in many years that 15%. This generous giving from this church that allowed us to buy and renovate this building eight years ago. It was generous giving from this congregation that allowed us to buy the three adjacent houses. It was generous giving from y'all that allowed us to build the pavilion and restart our ministries during COVID. Every step of the way, New City's story has been a story of generosity. And now there's an opportunity to build upon that. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about this all the way up to November 20th, which is our Commitment Sunday. And our hope and our prayer is that the Lord would do more in this time than just raise money for a building. We do think it's a worthy project. We think it's going to meet present needs. We think it's going to allow for creativity and growth of ministry in the future. It's going to allow us more opportunities to welcome in our neighbors, people in our community, our friends. Almost certainly it's going to be a blessing to people way beyond us. In the same way that this building was a blessing way beyond those who built it 100 years ago. But our hope is that this will also be a period of growth for all of us. Because as Paul says, generosity is a part of discipleship. And we all want to grow in following Jesus. This is part of that. This is part of growing in grace. And remember we said earlier that Paul's appeal here is completely enveloped in grace. The unmerited, God-initiated, intruding, interrupting grace of God bursting into human lives. And then that's what propels people into generous living. And I don't know if you noticed it, but our text this morning is bookended by grace. Verse 1, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. Verse 7, see that you excel in this act of grace. Also, and that's how it works. Grace given becomes grace giving. Grace given, verse 1, becomes grace giving by the time we get to verse 7. That's what happened with the Macedonians. It's what Paul longs for for the Corinthians. It's what can happen for us. New city. Grace given. Turning into grace giving. So let's take a moment and pray together. And then we're going to come to the Lord's Supper in a moment. I'll pray and then, then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together and then we'll invite you to come to the Lord's Supper with us. But would you bow your heads? Would you pray with me? Oh God, would you help us to know your grace? As we see the example of believers laying down their lives for others, sacrificing, serving, welcoming, caring, like the Macedonians. We ask that you would make us like them. And we also probably know what it's like to be like the Corinthians, starting out well, but needing encouragement, needing nudge, needing challenge. And so, Lord, would you meet us this morning wherever we're at? And would you move us forward? Yes, as individuals, but together also as a church, and not just in making room in a new building, but in making room in our hearts for more of you and making room for more opportunities for ministry to our neighbors, ministries to the poor and the hurting, more opportunities 
to reach out to those in need in all ways in our city. And so, Lord, would you translate grace given to us? We've been given so much to grace giving, pouring out in generosity and mission. And as we think and pray for those things, Lord, we pray now with the words that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.